Hello and welcome to the McLeod Insights, where we feature conversations with longtime industry veterans who are now team members here at McLeod Software. Our goal with this podcast is to support and empower our customers by helping them learn about proven ideas and best practices that will have a positive impact on how they run their companies. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about bid season. And today we're joined with Chris Wilson, who is a data scientist here at McLeod Software. Tell me a little bit about your background and why why you are considered an industry veteran. (laughs) Well, that might have something to do with the number of rings on my tree trunk. I've been in trucking pushing 40 years now. Uh, It was one of the very first jobs I ever had in high school. I delivered furniture. I was the I was the helper that was the, basically the, the muscle to get that furniture from the truck into the house. And uh, it was there that I fell in, in love with trucks and trucking and this whole idea of moving goods from point A to point B. I've held a number of roles over the years, all of which exposed me to the technology of the day. So Uh, I just happened to hit that sweet spot in trucking where things began to move from automated routing guides or from uh, manual routing guides to automated routing guides using the most basic of software, you know, built in in, um, Unix and and DOS. And so very rudimentary uh, GUIs and and screens. but what that allowed me to do is to mature my understanding of computing and how it applies to tra- trucking and transportation across the years. Um, I retired from trucking. Uh, I had the T-shirt and it didn't fit anymore back in September of last year. And the opportunity to join McLeod on their data science team opened up. And the reason that I I jumped at that opportunity was because it built on something that I still love to do, which was analytics and research. And uh, it was going to allow me to expand my horizon in a direction that includes machine learning, artificial intelligence, modeling, uh, basically analytics, but on steroids. And I've always had some burning questions, and my the opportunity to work uh, for McLeod will allow me to answer those questions and, moreover, share those answers with our customers in a manner that will help them make better decisions because they know what it was I was guessing at a few years ago. Yeah, I've, Pretty much sums it up. I've had several conversations with you, Chris, and I know that you're you're an expert in rating and um, um, numbers for companies. But uh, what would you typically be doing this time of year? So um, you know, it's big bid season, and uh, uh, there are questions that are going to be asked of uh, the team in general, your trucking team. And uh, you kind of want to know what those answers are going to be before you start doing your bidding. So what I would be doing right now is I would be putting on my continuous improvement hat. And that was something that I did every week. So we, at, at at my former trucking company, we would analyze our wins and our losses each week. And we would categorize, so why did we win and why did we lose? 
And on the losses side, we do a little bit of corrective action. And on the uh, big win side, we'd look at how can we duplicate that, right? And, and we'd look for first mover opportunities. And so what I would like to share today in preparation for the big bid event is something is really a habit that um, if you're doing it every week, the big bid event season won't be as big a burden. The only thing that's different about the big bid event seasons is that you're creating a number of rates um, that you're then sending back in files, and so you're competing. But by and large, the analytical work that you do during a bid season is the analytical work that you do when you're not in bid season. Yeah, I would agree with that. You should you should keep up with the the numbers all year long. So if you've got big bids coming up, where does a company start? Where does one start for that? Well, you want to start by answering your knowns. You want to baseline your performance. And I would offer, don't worry about the stuff that's on target as much because your team knows what's going on there. Worry about the tales of two cities, right? I, I, I pointed to it in my open. Um, you want to understand your big wins and your big losses. And, and uh, so you start there and, and you start taking inventory. What markets did uh, we win big in? What markets did we lose big in? Um, were there promised tenders that we never received? Um, were there promised tenders that we received and we rejected, right? You want to, you want to inventory all that information uh, because when you start to get into the bids, you're going to want to understand different lanes. And uh, the lanes that you were promised that you either rejected or the lanes that you promised uh, that you never got, you're going to want to drill into those. You're, you're going to want to do a little bit of a deeper dive in rate trend analytics, that be that on the buy side or the sell side, as well as on net margin. So, and we'll get into a little uh, of that a little bit deeper in the conversation here. Um, you want to you want to understand, uh, given uh, the disruptive year um, that it has been, uh, how did your contract pricing fail if it did in fact fail? Um, what was your balance of spot market unplanned loads to contract loads, planned loads? Um, when did you receive the loads? You know, you're going to want to understand your timing a little bit where the load was the demand front end loaded in the week, rear end loaded in the week. Um, what were the markets where you didn't have proper capacity? And, and, and then you, you want to identify what those are so that as you begin to, uh, prepare for bid season, you know, whether or not you've corrected those problems. So I begin with the knowns. Yeah, that's a good point. So start with what you do know and try to figure out what's missing. So once you have the the knowns, as you call them, then what? So then I want to think about my opinions on the knowns and I want to bounce them off my subject matter experts. Just because I think I know doesn't mean I really know. And so I'm always testing my opinion against their opinion um, because their opinion informs their action and their thinking and their action and their thinking informs the results you're getting. So if their thinking 
uh, about a problem or uh, a customer in a context that differs from you, you can bet the results you expect are not the results you're getting. And so, um, so what I do is I, I go back to him and I say, okay, here's our big wins, right? These were the markets we really killed in. And before I even ask them their opinion of those markets, I ask them, so what is the, what is the spot rate trend in these markets? Uh, that's the buy side of the equation. And regardless of whether you're a broker or an asset provider, you want to know what the spot market is doing in your market there. Even if you're not going to the spot to get your uh, capacity, you want to understand what the spot market says your capacity is worth. And then on the flip side of that, the, the sell side rate, what, what are our sell side rates doing with our customers? And you want to have a good assessment. How many rating actions have you taken? Do you think you can hold on to those rate actions if you've taken price from the customer? Um, what are your net margins in those lanes? If you're, um, if you're, if you've got a really high price relative to what a lane normally trades at, are you earning a really high net margin? You know, would there be an opportunity if you lowered your price to get more volume? If the answer is no, don't lower your price. You know, that's a that's a one and done, and you count your lucky stars and 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 take it to the bank. But if the answer is yes, there's a lot of capacity there. Then start to have a deeper discussion with both your subject matter expert, the account manager, and the customer. Um, if the wins aren't repeatable, then you, you want to know why aren't they repeatable. And if you've got opinions about why they're not repeatable, you want to bounce those opinions off the subject matter expert that handles that customer's business, as well as maybe even the customer themselves. Um, lastly, take this opportunity to ask the customer, hey, I know we're about to enter the bid, but how has your business changed? Just give me a little bit of insight. Sometimes I got the best feedback, the, the best intelligence on these one-on-one -on -one calls with these customers. It was one sentence, but I picked it up, it landed with me, and I used it to inform a decision that we were making downstream, uh, and it, it, was, it was gold. Um, then we pivot and we say, are the big losses avoidable? If yes... If they're avoidable, what were the corrective actions that we as a company took? And are those corrective actions sustainable? Do they have legs in the next year? Um, and I want to have a robust conversation about that with all the subject matter experts. Uh, if our losses are not avoidable, then we're going to have to take a pricing action. We're going to have to look at raising rates, or we're going to have to look at building capacity, or we're going to have to look at getting to market earlier, which means the customer is going to have to give you um, uh, better lead times. There's capacity in every market. The best capacity goes first, and that's a truism. So if, if the early bird is, is uh, in that market first, they're going to get the worm. And so you want to make sure you're that early bird. And uh, there are some ways to know whether your rate in a, in a given market is good or bad. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, you want to double click on the answers that your team gives you to see if there is any there there. Sometimes team members have opinions. And 
I don't know where those opinions came from, but they came from somewhere. And they're using that opinion to inform what they do or, more importantly, what they don't do. And if that opinion uh, doesn't hold water, you're going to want to get in there and have a real candid conversation about uh, a better view or a better filter of the circumstances that they happen to be in so that when you decide what next year's price is going to be, they're in lockstep with you. So, Chris, I hear a lot um, in, in what you're talking about, uh, about communication, uh, whether it be internal or external. It, it kind of starts with communication. Let's talk about some of the analytical parts of it. So where, where does your team go to find out these answers from an analytical perspective? Well, and, and, and more importantly, if, if that place exists, is your team going there to, to get their analytics from the same place you are? That's a loaded question, right? That's the there there that I talked about in the prior segment is uh, you want to drill in and understand if this team member has a strong opinion about a particular market, a particular customer, a particular reason why you win big or you lose big. What facts are they using? Are they using anecdotal observations or are they using statistical facts? And even though statistics can lie, uh, the reality is if you know where your rates are, if you've got a good account manager who is well-schooled in their market and they understand the range of rates and they know what a good rate is relative to a bad rate and their net margin proves they know what they're talking about, then um, then you probably don't have a lot of probing. Uh, it's, it's called the rate spectrum, and that's what we're talking about. There is a tool. Uh, Impact is Market Insight 2.0. And what we're doing with this information is we're, we're looking beyond the min, the max, and the average rate in the lane pair. And we're, we're showing you with the rate spectrum what quartile uh, and a quartile, think of a quartile as a quarter of the market, right? And so we're giving you the rates at what we call the Q boundaries, Q1, 2, and 3. The Q boundaries represent that rate, uh, that record that says that uh, 25% of the market has cleared at or below this number. So for instance, if we've got a minimum observation of a dollar and we've got a first quartile rate of $1.25, what that says is, is the first 25% of the market cleared between $1 and $1.25. If we've got a Q2 rate of $1.50, what that says is the second 25% or the first 50% of the market cleared between $1 and $1.50. Um, the 25% of the market between $1.25 and $1.50. And so, and that dollar fifty—that's going to be your median, right? And so, if you talk to a dispatcher who's um, who's got three years negotiating in the same markets, they they don't need analytics to tell you what the range of rates is in a given market and where their rates fall relative to that range. But not everybody has three or four years experience, and if you're dealing with a rookie dispatcher, and so many of us have young uh, uh, professionals joining our teams straight out of college, maybe never even went to college, right? They don't have that experience in, in their uh, 
in their baffles. So they're going to re- they're going to need to rely on these analytics and the rate spectrum. We call it the rate trend screen and the rate analysis screen in impact are two excellent ways to get that historical perspective and to understand how robust are the rates that I'm charging my customer? Is it a first, a second, a third, a fourth quartile rate? And then once you know what quartile you're in, you can start to have discussions about, is that sustainable or not? And then that sets up what you're going to do in your bid event. Um, So uh, additionally, what I want to do is I want to look at where the winds were predictable, what was our rates relative to that rate spectrum? So anything that I earned 15% or above on in terms of net margin, I want to understand where's my rate in those rate spectrums. Uh, in, my, in my Q3 or Q4, could I expect downward pressure on that rate to the customer? Or am I in a Q1 or Q2 and I've just got a sweet deal? Um, I, I want to take inventory of that. Where were our net margins? So if our net margins, um, if we're bound to specific markets because we have, say, a core customer, right? I want to understand what were the net margins beyond just my experience, right? Because if other people are making more money than I am, and this is a core market, and I am a core carrier for a customer, then that informs what I should be doing on my bids. Um, because the tie will go to the incumbent generally nine times out of 10. If your service is good, if your communication is good, if they trust you and your bid is a few pennies higher this year than it was last year and in line with the median or the average rate, they're going to choose the devil they know. They're going to choose you nine times out of 10. So we want to understand where is, where's our net margins in, uh, in those predictable wins. And then we want to document to the extent that we can, either in memory or on paper, why we think these wins will exist next year, right? Because those are going to be conditions, critical success factors. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to have that list of reasons why. And each week that I go through in the new bid period, I'm going to test those. Does this still hold? Does this still hold? And once those begin to fail, you can bet that the pricing assumptions you made will begin to fail, and you're going to want to have corrective actions. Um, then you then you pivot since you understand what is predictable, what losses and wins were predictable, and why. Then you want to pivot to the unpredictable, right? Um, maybe there was a pandemic. Maybe there was a polar vortex. Um, you know, maybe maybe there was a wildfire right? Maybe there was a flood. Maybe FEMA came into your core market and, and just wrecked the prices because there was a natural disaster and um, it couldn't be helped. Uh, that was unpredictable, right? Force majeure. But you still want to look at how did your market respond in those circumstances? Because that gives you kind of a high-end uh, understanding of what it takes to get things moving in the market when the market is completely disrupted. The last thing I would do is um, I would ask myself, when we bid, are we, are we bidding to win every lane? Are we trying to submit a first or a second quartile sell-side rate to win in every lane? And if the answer is yes, why? There are some lanes where you can earn a nice return on occasion, 
if you bid a third or a fourth quartile, right? Especially lanes you have no expertise in. The only lanes that I would encourage anybody to be in the first or second quartile in, in terms of their sell side rate to the customer, are lanes that they have absolute command over. You've got core carrier programs built. You know what those carriers need to be profitable. You're giving them what they need to be profitable. There's a whole list of laundry items that I would want to check off of my list to be sure that that competitive rate that I'm that I'm bidding is sustainable year-round. And so, you know, that's that comes from analytics. And, and analytics will inform you the next question you should answer. And um, we could probably have a program just around these types of questions, Robert. Yeah, I, I believe you, you could. Um, I like the fact that you covered the losses that are predictable and the wins that are predictable. And we talk about things that are unpredictable. I think everybody has to wrap their mind around that. But once you factor all those in, and plus the wins that you want to get and, and possibly the wins that you didn't expect to get, how do you establish any performance metrics or targets that um, you want to maintain throughout the month and year? Well, if you've never, so everybody's got to start somewhere. If you've never set targets um, for yourself, uh, you might look at, annual and quarterly targets. And then from there, I would divide them into weekly targets. Now you can get wrapped around dividing by 13 or however wide your week is, 12 weeks. Uh, most, most quarters have 13 weeks in them. Um, and so you, you can really get wrapped around that axle uh, trying to, to fillet that onion. But if you've never set a goal, don't worry about it. Just take your quarterly goal, divide by 13, and there's your weekly goal. And then you make somebody accountable for that weekly goal, right? Now, this isn't to beat them over the head. Um, uh, you definitely want to praise them and the entire team when they're blowing their goal out. You also want to ask yourself, why are they blowing their goal out, right? Was that a, was that a, uh, was that a sandbag goal or was that, uh, was that a really truly um, – uh, significant performance on their part. Um, but um, so you set these goals on a weekly basis. You should be having a meeting uh, every week uh, that reviews these goals. And when they're on target or beating target, move on. Don't worry about it. Um, that, those aren't the, that's not the time to be talking about things that are working. What you're doing on a weekly basis is assessing what isn't working, what assumptions did we have coming into this quarter that are failing, and what are we doing from a corrective action standpoint to deal with it. And basically, the way the meetings used to work back at our old carrier, the president of the company would, would go down the tick list and you would say on track or off track. And if you were off track, it went up on the whiteboard to be discussed as an issue. And then we would vote on those issues. And the top three issues or whatever we had time for, those were the issues we discussed. So not every issue gets discussed, but you want to make sure you've got all the issues for that week on the board somewhere and you can document what those issues are. If an issue is of low importance but sustained, 
it's going to come to the top of the list because you'll start whacking away the most important issues and getting corrective action items. Uh, and that on track, off track, no discussion, no debate, no politicking. It is a binary result. Are you on track or are you off track? And it was not a sin to be off track. I mean, think about it, Robert. If we're setting true goals, real goals, we should be effective about 80% of the time. If we're setting goals and we're blowing those goals out 100% of the time, those aren't goals. Those aren't goals. Goals should make you stretch. Goals should grow you. And so a goal is not going to be achieved 80% of the time. And for somebody to say off track, that's not a crisis. That candor, that honesty should be rewarded. So you definitely want to establish your performance targets. And uh, there is a book that I will share called Traction. And um, uh, it's based off of the Rockefeller habits. And I would, I would urge everybody, if you've not read this book, read it once. Uh, if you've never set goals for your team, read it five or ten times. Use it as a hand guide or a reference manual, if you will. It's an extraordinary book, and it gets results. It gets everybody pulling in the same direction. From an executive level, um, should I be, what, what are some strategic items that I should be con- concerned about, like the tools that I'm offering my individuals that they should be using? What, what tools exist in my company? What, can you talk about that? Sure. So when we talked about analytics, right, and when I was having conversations about the results that we were getting with my team members, I was also having conversations around, are you using the tools that you have? And so for a McLeod customer, the for, you're, you're, you're in a fortunate uh, few uh, in terms of, you know, we've got more than a thousand carriers out of how many um, uh, industry-wide um, um, companies that do what we do, right, which is, is class eight trucking. Um, so we're a very, uh, even though McLeod is a significant uh, size of market share in the trucking industry in terms of the number of companies using our software. When you look at how fragmented our industry and the software is in it, you, you, you begin to understand that even though we might be one of the bigs, uh, there, there's still uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of people that don't know McLeod. So count your lucky stars that you do because there are tools uh, available to you. Let's start with the ones that come with your base McLeod package. Market Insight. If you're not using Market Insight to understand where your rates are relative to the whole market, you leave money on the table. I promise you are. Now, with Market Insight and the evolution of that information to impact, I will say to include impact now. Now, uh, this conversation is is occurring uh, you and I, Robert, at a time where impact is just being introduced. So um, you should expect uh, your people to say, I've never heard of impact. And if that's the case, then you want to get in contact with us to get them a user account set up. Because again, for now, impact is included in your base offering. And while we're going to do some premium things in the future, it, it is something you can use right now to make better rating decisions. It's available right now. And so if your team doesn't know about it, connect the dots and get them a user user ID. Talk to your key uh, McLeod contact on your team. 
because I promise you they will be hearing about impact and they will be getting this information in spades. Um, then you have some of the more premium tools. For instance, we've got the bid module or the pricing module. I call it the bid module, but it's really its formal name is the pricing module. If you're a carrier who is uh, participating in uh, numerous large bid events, if you're a carrier who has someone who is considered a pricing expert, you're going to multiply that person's capacity by getting in the bid module. There are things that the bid module does that no human being could ever do, period. For instance, uh, the biggest box, the big box retailer uh, in, in, in the country, the big 10-ton gorilla, we all know who they are, right? Um, some of their bids have tens of thousands of lanes. And I could import their bid in the span of about 15 minutes because I had a template. Their bids are always consistent. They come out on a monthly basis, some of them, um, and certainly quarterly. And then they have their annual bid events, right? And so I could import that in 15 minutes. And with about 30 minutes of machine time, I could have a rate from DAT, Market Insight, Internet Truck Stop, uh, and there are going to be some impact uh, analytics that we'll introduce next year to, in to be included in that tool. And so um, when we look at that information, right, I had it all right there. I didn't have to go and, and, and key up and have five monitors with different sources of information. It was all in one spreadsheet. And so um, that bid module, that pricing module is uh, um, a critical tool. If you're, you're participating in bids that have a thousand or more lanes and those bids are occurring quarterly, weekly, um, annually, you'll get your money out of that very quickly. Um, so I would, I would start there. And then there are any number of services you can subscribe to, uh, you pay money for, um, and uh, they have some pretty interesting analytics in them. But um, we're in the early stages of, of integrating that information into the systems. And so maybe, maybe there'll be more to talk about next year when we have this conversation. So Chris, is there anything, um, beyond tools that would, that I should pay attention to? Like how, how can I identify gaps in your performance in the company? What, what are some areas there? So we've talked about the rates and whether or not you're getting the results you wanted. We've talked about um, your team's opinions and understanding whether or not they're, they're current in their markets. We've talked about um, uh, uh, the results um, uh, in terms of the financials. We've talked about setting goals. We've talked about tools that are available. The last thing you got to look at are the people. And I referenced that book, Traction, earlier in the conversation. And uh, uh, I learned something from Traction that I'll never forget. And it's called GWC. And uh, when, when, you're, when you're assessing your team and you're, you're fixing to change rates, and, and let's say uh, you see uh, a customer that is going to get very rate competitive in the coming year. Do you have the right dispatcher or account manager on that? Are, are they skilled enough in their negotiations? 
And the way you answer that question is, uh, it's three simple questions. Do they get the job they're doing, right? So do they understand it? Um, are they doing it with a reasonable amount of accuracy? Not a lot of flaws. Do they want the job they're doing? Are they engaged? Are they invigorated by what they're doing? Or are they just going through the motions? And then lastly, are they capable? Um, if you got a no in any more than one of those categories, then that person is not doing the right job. And you need to um, put them in a place where they can succeed because they're not succeeding themselves or your company or their team. So that's GWC. Gets it, wants it, is capable. I want ideally three yeses in each to each of those answers. I can live with two yeses if my results are good, if my results are mediocre to poor, two or, or fewer yeses means I've got to move some people around. I've got some chess to play, if you will. Then the next question is, are they using the tools available to them? Are they self-starters or do you have to tell them to go check Market Insight every time you have a conversation with them? What, uh, what don't they understand? And is there training available to close that knowledge gap? You know, I referenced, uh, uh, Robert, the, the rate trends and the rate analysis screens. There's a perfect example where if I had a rookie dispatcher, I would be getting them training on those two screens. And I would be getting them training from somebody who is good at negotiating because there are tips and tricks and pointers. You're not going to pay a fourth quartile rate if you get in the market early enough. And that's a habit. And often that's an unpracticed habit. So you get those dispatchers who are just going through plodding along, trying to do the bare minimum to survive. And, oh, by the way, they're, they're going to be the same dispatchers you see at 10 o'clock the day of trying to cover a load. Well, guess what? You're probably going to pay a third or fourth quartile rate. Had they been out there yesterday doing the same level of effort, you wouldn't be getting the results you're, you're about to get. Um, and so um, one of the things that I like to think about is, is I take the, the number of uh, the, the amount of revenue we make in millions and I divide my headcount into it. And the headcount, the, the revenue per person on your team needs to exceed uh, equal or exceed a million dollars a person. If you're below a million dollars a person in terms of revenue per head, then I'm not telling you to go out and lay off people. Good people are hard to find. I'm telling you, set bigger goals, get more revenue, get more growth. You've got the bench to do it. Now, uh, if you're above a million dollars, right, then ask yourself, how much further above can I go? And the leverage comes from the tools, the tools that you're using. If you're using McLeod efficiently, it's not unheard of to see teams that do a million five a person or a million six a person. And there are some rare instances where you've got team members doing $2 million of revenue uh, uh, or more uh, a year. Their run rates are that high. Now, those people are do taking advantage of captive capacity, I promise you. They're not, they're not calling a carrier one and done and dispatching. They're calling a carrier and they're dispatching 20 to 30 loads at a time. And they're lining up, even if it's not a formal dispatch, they're lining up their, their capacity for the end of the week. So where you fall relative to revenue per FTE is going to tell you a lot about a lot. 
uh, and, and how much room you've got to optimize. The next thing I would think about is what are the target ROIs on the tools we have? We Just because we're spending money on a tool doesn't mean that tool is worth the money we're spending, right? And if you can't point to reasons why that tool is benefiting you, and those reasons don't have dollar signs attached to them, I would analyze why are you using that tool? Um, there may be reasons for it. There may be soft costs or soft results that are hard to quantify or mo uh, monetize, but um, you definitely want to touch that base. Um, when I'm looking at a tool and I'm looking at my ROIs, I have a couple of rules of thumb. Anything that pays for its base cost in the first three years, that's dumb money. Meaning you're dumb if you don't spend it. Buy that tool, use that tool, print the money that tool prints. Uh, because you can't put your money in the stock market and get a guaranteed return like that. Um, the other thing I would address is there are often fear uh, about new tools that people exhibit and will that you'll hear it in their language, right? They'll, they'll be speaking conditionally, um, um, not assertively, not convincingly. And we all know conditional language when we hear it. Well, I tried to use that tool and it just didn't work. Tried is you, the tool works or it doesn't work. And because it's demonstrated to work and because there's an ROI available to using it, you shouldn't accept an excuse like, well, I tried to use it, but it didn't work. There's a conversation. Double click on that in that conversation and get into how are they using the tool? How long have they used the tool? What do they know about the tool? And that comes back to training. If you've got the right person, gets it, wants it, is capable, you really aren't going to be having many of these conversations. These conversations are going to occur with the people who are trying to protect status quo. They're not trying to do anything extraordinary. They just like the way their day goes as it is. And, and the problem with status quo thinking is ultimately it breaks down. And what happens when status quo thinking breaks down? You end up in chaos. You lose a big customer. You, you, you lose a chunk of business. You, get, uh, you lose drivers. Whatever the case may be, status quo thinking is a cancer. And... Um, um, I had to go to a lot of training to identify how status quo thinking was controlling my life. And once I got my hands around that thinking, uh, I began to think the unthinkable. And, and, and it was in the unthinkable that I was thinking that I ended up here at McLeod because it's unthinkable to be doing some of the things we're doing with our analytics. And we're going to automate decision-making so your people don't have to make the tough calls because a computer can, can, can consider 36, 50, 100 different variables concurrently. So, so we're going to go there, but it's never been done. Well, you got to be in the unthinkable space to declare that it can be done so that you can start to think about it. Um, the last, one of the last things is, I would ask, what's, when's the last time your team had tension applied in their negotiations, right? Are you leaving money on the table because they're using carriers they're comfortable with? Even though the market is telling you you could be getting that freight for a, a lesser amount? Now, I'm not telling you to go out and nickel and dime your, your owner-operator, but I am telling you 
that markets move and you need to be flexible enough to move with them. And so, um, and then lastly, I would ask the question of, of my people, what can you do different? Um, and, and, and this is really not even of my people, because this is a question I ask of myself. This is introspective analysis, right? Am I using the lessons that I learned in traction? If the answer is no, where am I not using those lessons? Why am I not using those lessons? There's nothing more inauthentic than for you to hold your team members accountable for a level of performance that you yourself is not willing to, to uh, hold yourself accountable to. And that reads loud and clear. People see what you're saying. They don't hear what you're saying. They see what you're saying. So if you're holding yourself to the same level, if you're hustling just like you expect all your other team members to hustle, then they see that and that encourages that an, an extraordinary effort on their part. Is your opinion holding your team back? Meaning, do you have opinions of things that cause your team not to take action? That's a biggie right there. Uh, and I would ask myself, and I would analyze on the things that I think I know the most, what do my team members think? And that's why I asked you to ask that question early on. And then uh, how are poor results viewed? Um, Watson from IBM, uh, the namesake for uh, the computer, the supercomputer, uh, he said uh, that uh, success lies at the far end of a problem. And what he meant in saying that was that your greatest successes will become as a result of problem solving. You need to learn everything that that problem can teach you and apply those lessons to your business going forward. So poor results should not be criticized. Rather, they should be analyzed. Analyzing poor results has no emotion in it. It's a pure logical state of mind. And so you want to analyze those results, apply the lessons learned, and make sure those lessons stick. Are the same mistakes um, leading to the same results? If you're in, we used to call it being stuck on stupid. If we make the same mistakes over and over and over again, that means either there are no corrective actions or our corrective actions are not working. And so you gotta you gotta just belly up and say, hey, I think we're stuck on stupid here because we're, we're we say we're fixing the problem, but the results not changing. So you're either you're either um, just talking about the problem and not fixing it, or you're fixing the problem. That's a binary condition, and results change for better or worse when you're fixing a problem. And then finally. Um, there's got to be a continuous improvement loop for your team. The reason that I opened this conversation with it's bid season's not much different from any other season is if you're asking the critical questions up front every week, you don't have to prepare for a bid. You're prepared for the bid. And so is your team because your team will understand where we can get more competitive better than you will. And your team will tell you, we need to take rate here. We need to lower rate here. These are the reasons why. Here's what the market's telling me. Here's my experience. Here are my capacity. Here's my capacity list. And when your team is actively engaged in telling you what rate direction 
you should take with each of your customers. Bid seasons are fun because you're going to win. Chris, that's a lot of good information and a lot of thought-provoking comments there. And as always, it's a pleasure listening to you and speak to you today. So I invite you back on the show as as often as you want. But uh, good information and uh, good luck to our customers in the upcoming bid season. If we can help you in any way, feel free to contact a McLeod Software Sales Representative or reach out to Chris. I'm sure he'll be happy to have a conversation with you. Um, You're listening to McLeod Insights. If you have any questions, feel free to email podcast at mcloudsoftware.com.